Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled, Every Good and Perfect Gift is from Above. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning global audience of unchurched, self-study people, as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word with a stronger personal study, we also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. Please note, our new website development goes well. However, while this site is under development, please continue to use our current site mentioned in our final notes before closing our podcast episodes. Our current site URL is unchurched.site123.me. That is unchurched.site123.me. Thank you all for your patience while we make this online transition. Last week, was our first episode of four Christmas episodes titled Giving a Cup of Cold Water, posted on December 4th. Matthew 10, verse 42 read, And whoever gives only a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, I tell you the truth, he will never lose his reward. Is that a reference to our salvation in Christ, as many believe? Nonetheless, that seems impressive. Jesus tells us that if we only give a simple cup of cold water to a thirsty person, we will never lose our reward. One has to wonder just what that reward is, especially if it is not our salvation in Him. In this passage, there are two distinct rewards. Then, in the third example, we already have a reward that we cannot lose if we exercise the simple gift of giving a cup of cold water. Barnes' New Testament notes told us that, in all these three illustrations, 
Christ meant to teach substantially the same thing. So, while a little different in each case, the teaching as a complete work was to teach substantially the same thing. That teaching being, he that would entertain kindly or treat with hospitality himself, his disciples, a prophet, or a righteous man would show that he approved their character and... To find out more, listen to our previous episode titled, Giving a Cup of Cold Water. This week, we examine the comment, Every good and perfect gift is from above. That phrase is all-encompassing. So I picked a good and perfect thing that many brothers and sisters I know have never properly understood. Our study reference is verse 17 in James chapter 1. Verses 2 through 18 are on the subject of joy in trials. However, Christmas is a time to remember how Jesus is a good and perfect gift from above for mankind. This is the subject of our study this week. Our reference verse reads, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom can be no variation nor turning shadow. From World English Bible. This may also read in other Bible versions, All generous giving and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or the slightest hint of change. Father of lights? Really? Does that raise any question or questions in your mind? As most of this study, we will find out that this is not some strange reference about God. Neither is it some cryptic Bible wording that cannot be understood. It, in fact, is used in the day that James' audience would have understood. However, today, many in the modern audience has trouble understanding what James said. I know this from the number of people I have spoken with as well as some pastors and teachers. To find better understanding, commentary tells us. Every good gift and every perfect gift. The difference between good and perfect here, it is not easy to mark accurately. The general sense is that God is the author of all good. Everything that is good on the earth we are to trace to him. Evil has another origin. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, from God, who is often represented as dwelling above in heaven, and comes down from the Father of lights, from God, the source and fountain of all light. Light in the scriptures, is the emblem of knowledge, purity, happiness, and God is often represented as light. There is, doubtless, an allusion here to the heavenly bodies 
among which the sun is the most brilliant. It appears to us to be the great original fountain of light, diffusing its radiance over all worlds. No cloud, no darkness seems to come from the sun, but it pours its rich, brilliant radiance on the farthest part of the universe. So it is with God. There is no darkness in Him, and all the moral light and purity which there is in the universe is to be traced to Him. The word Father here is used in a sense which is common in Hebrew, as denoting that which is the source of anything, or that from which anything proceeds. With whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The design here is clearly to contrast God with the sun in a certain respect. As the source of light, there is a strong resemblance, but in the sun there are certain changes. It does not shine on all parts of the earth at the same time, nor in the same manner all the year. It rises and sets. It crosses the line. Note, the line meaning what we today call the equator. It crosses the line and seems to go far to the south and sends its rays obliquely on the earth. Then it ascends to the north, recrosses the line, and sends its rays obliquely on southern regions. It produces the changes of the seasons and makes a contrast variety on the earth in the productions of different climes. In this respect, God is not indeed like the sun. With him, there is no variableness, not even the appearance of turning. He is always the same at all seasons of the year and in all ages. There is no change in his character, his mode of being, his purposes and plans. What he was millions of ages before the worlds were made, he is now. What he is now, he will be countless millions of ages hence. We may be sure that whatever changes there may be in human affairs, whatever reverses we may undergo, whatever oceans we may cross, or whatever mountains we may climb, or in whatever worlds we may hereafter take up our abode, God is the same. The word which is here rendered variableness occurs nowhere else in the New Testament. It means change, alteration, a change or variation, usually unforeseen change in circumstance or experience that affects one's life, especially in a trying way, and would probably be applied to the changes observed in astronomy. The phrase rendered shadow of turning would probably refer to the different shade or shadow cast by the sun from an object in earth's various revolutions, in rising and setting, and in its changes 
at the different seasons of the year. God, on the other hand, is as if the sun stood in the meridian at noonday and never cast any shadow. From Barnes New Testament Notes That was quite a lot of commentary. It also told us just what the author wanted us to understand. However, it gives us some firm understanding of a new thing, including what it means when we read the phrase, quote, Father of Lights, end quote, or, in some variations, quote, Father of Light, end quote, which sounds more correct to my ears. Now, some explanation of this phrase, Father of Lights, quote unquote, is necessary. Quote, from God, the source and fountain of all light. Light in the scriptures is the emblem of knowledge, purity, happiness, and God is often represented as light. There is, doubtless, an allusion here to the heavenly bodies among which the sun is the most brilliant. It appears to us to be the great original fountain of light, diffusing its radiance over all worlds. No cloud, no darkness seems to come from the sun, but it pours its rich, brilliant radiance on the farthest part of the universe. So it is with God. There is no darkness in Him, and all the moral light and purity which there is in the universe is to be traced to Him. End quote. From Barnes New Testament Notes. That quote right there is why God is identified as the, quote, Father of Lights, end quote. Notice how that commentary passage ends. All the moral light and purity which there is in the universe is to be traced to him. Why? Because, quote, there is no darkness in him, end quote. This is why this is difficult for us to understand today. It is a poetic phrase that, when written, was understood in that day. Today, we read it and many do not understand such old poetic phrasing that references things we are both familiar with and unfamiliar with. Simply put, we can say truthfully, God, the Father, is all moral light and purity, simply meaning that in this world anything moral and or pure is traceable back to Him, God the Father. Yes, a lot of commentary to make that point, but from the better understanding we get from it, I believe it was time well spent. This next verse should help us understand more fully the subject. Now this is the gospel message we have heard from him and announced to you. God is light, 
and in him there is no darkness at all. From 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the substance of the announcement which we have received from him, or which he made to us. The message here refers to what he communicated as the sum of the revelation which he made to man. The phrase, quote, of him, end quote, does not mean respecting him or about him, but from him. That is, this is what we received from his preaching from all that he said. He came as the messenger of him who is light. He came to inculcate and defend the truths which flow from that central doctrine in regard to sin, to the danger and duty of man, to the way of recovery, and to the rules by which men ought to live. Light, in the scriptures, is the emblem of purity, truth, knowledge, prosperity, and happiness as darkness is of the opposite. John here says that, quote, God is light, end quote. Not the light or a light, but light itself. That is, he is himself all light and is the source and fountain of light in all worlds. He is perfectly pure without any admixture of sin. He has all knowledge with no admixture of ignorance on any subject. He is infinitely happy with nothing to make him miserable. He is infinitely true, never stating or countenancing error. He is blessed in all his ways, never knowing the darkness of disappointment and adversity and in him is no darkness at all. This language is much in the manner of John, not only affirming that a thing is so, but guarding it so that no mistake could possibly be made as to what he meant, to guard the mind from an error to which it is prone, that of charging God with being the author of the sin and misery which exist on the earth, and the apostle seems to design to teach that whatever was the source of sin and misery, it was not in any sense to be charged on God. This doctrine that God is a pure light, John lays down as the substance of all that he had to teach of all that he had learned from him who was made flesh. From Barnes New Testament Notes The word, quote, light, end quote, appears to be a sort of verbal shorthand emblematic of purity, truth, knowledge, prosperity, and happiness. Could we better say today, God is the Father of purity, truth, knowledge, prosperity, and happiness? These appear to be 
the five aspects that define the light of which we are discussing here. Is not purity, truth, knowledge, prosperity, and happiness good gifts and perfect gifts from above? I think the answer to that question is a solid yes. Our next verse gives us better understanding to know what we are studying. He alone possesses immortality and lives in unapproachable light, whom no human has ever seen or is able to see. To him the honor and eternal power. Amen. We can see how our sinful nature, although forgiven, still influences spiritual things. Some we can know, and others, like God's light, we cannot fully understand. Why? Even though saved in Christ, we are sinners still because we cannot go a day without needing to approach Him in prayer for forgiveness. That means we are not pure, we are not truthful, we lack knowledge, we lack spiritual prosperity, and we are not always happy. Who only has immortality? The word here properly means exemption from death, and seems to mean that God, in his own nature, enjoys a perfect and certain exemption from death. Creatures have immortality only as they derive it from him, and, of course, are dependent on him for it. He has it by his very nature, and it is in his case underived, and he cannot be deprived of it. It is one of the essential attributes of his being that he will always exist and that death cannot reach him. The Father has life in himself, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. In the Greek, dwelling in the light is better defined as inhabiting inapproachable light. Continuing, the light where he dwells is so brilliant and dazzling that mortal eyes cannot endure it. This is a very common representation of the dwelling place of God. Heaven is constantly represented as a place of the most pure and brilliant light, needing not the light of the sun or the moon or the stars. And God is represented as dwelling in that light, surrounded by amazing and inapproachable glory. From Barnes' New Testament Notes First, who can say they are exempt from death, even if saved in Christ? We do, as we humans call it, die, but how can we if we have eternal life? Scripture tells us that what we humans call death is merely sleep. Even today, only someone who has pure immortality can bear the light that even now 
is in heaven where our Father lives. Notice what the Greek language calls this impressive light. Dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, the light where he dwells is so brilliant and dazzling that mortal eyes cannot endure it. This is an issue with our sinful body despite being saved in him. Our eyes simply cannot behold the light of heaven as we presently exist. This is one possible reason why Scripture tells us we will receive a new body when we ascend to our eternal home and life. In our new bodies, our eyes should be able to comprehend what they now cannot. That aside, we can get more insight from the referenced verse and commentary which reads, Night will be no more, and they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign for ever and ever. From Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. Now, let me warn you, the next scripture passage may seem a disconnect from our subject matter, but bear with me. We learn further from the Old Testament. The preeminent one of Israel does not go back on his word or change his mind, for he is not a human being who changes his mind. From 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29. A human being makes mistakes. As a result, he may have consequences that he would like to undo but cannot. This is not the case with God. God knows what he does. God perfectly oversees all the consequences of his actions. This has nothing to do with probability, but with his perfect knowledge of the person he himself created. God knows what he can hold man responsible for and what he can expect of him. He does not overpower man. If man fails in his responsibilities, it is due to man himself. God's knowledge that man will fail is related to his omniscience. He is God. The failure of the human being does not overtake him above. Man's failure is not the result of God's wrong decision, but of man's wrong decisions. That God also uses man's failure to fulfill his plans of grace is a matter that we humans cannot explain. In this, God asks us to trust him. From King Comments, Commentary on the Whole Bible. God, being all-knowing and all-capable, knows what he can hold man responsible for and what he can expect of him. He does not overpower man. This allows all of us to function independently of God. This explains, in part, why we can sin against God. He offers forgiveness to us if we are willing to ask for it. Despite that, 
The failure of the human being does not overtake him. Man's failure is not the result of God's wrong decision, but of man's wrong decisions. That is plural for mankind's decision, since we fail in so many ways in just a single day. Notice, however, how magnificent God is. If we receive Him as our Lord and Savior, God also uses man's failures to fulfill His plans of grace. It is a matter that we humans cannot explain. We read further, Since I, the Lord, do not go back on my promises, you, sons of Jacob, have not perished. From Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. They murmured against God because they did not see his help, which was ever present, to defend them, and therefore he accuses them of ingratitude and shows that in that they are not daily consumed. It is a sign that he still defends them, and so his mercy towards them never changes. From Geneva Bible Translation Notes We see this today, at least in my part of the world, where God's children murmur against God. Such murmurs are expressions of our dissatisfactions with God for any number of reasons. Maybe we prayed for something, expecting it shortly, soon, or immediately, and it was never realized. Many of these people express ingratitude of which God accuses our Old Testament people in Malachi. They, like many of us today, fail to see He is ever-present to defend us. Yet, our daily negative issues do not consume us. That alone is a sign that He still defends us, and so His mercy towards us never changes. I will close with this familiar verse. For a child has been born to us, a son has been given to us. He shoulders responsibility and is called Extraordinary Strategist, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. From Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Instead of the short-sighted unbelief of King Ahaz, who plunges his people into deep darkness, we find the King Messiah who, though a child, is the promised Emmanuel. He will end all strife and misery and introduce an eternal kingdom based on law and righteousness. The full fulfillment of these verses will take place at the end of the anger of the Lord, when the king of the north is back in the land after defeating the king of the south, the judgment will be executed not in Judea but in Galilee. Also, at the first coming of Christ, his service is mainly in Galilee in the north. The army of the restored Western Roman Empire, Europe, 
and the army of the king of the north will both be destroyed at the appearance of the Lord Jesus. From the moment the people see the great light, the prophet in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 3 through 7, goes to an event even further into the future. He speaks in those verses about the breaking of the power of the Antichrist and the establishment of the realm of peace and justice of the Messiah. We see, one, great light instead of darkness. Two, great joy instead of distress. Three, liberation instead of slavery. And four, peace instead of struggle. From King Comments, Commentary on the Whole Bible. If only that alone, is it not a good gift and perfect gift from above? Next week, we continue our Christmas series. It will be the third in four separate messages for the Christmas season that can be easily tied to our thinking and actions. Are we letting social issues with three sicknesses in the wild at once clouding our view of things? Are world situations and issues causing you fear? Join us next week for our episode titled Give and It Will Be Given to You. Play or download our episodes from one of our podcast hosts or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched. Currently, an all-electronic Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. We greatly appreciate serving our international audience. God bless you all. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome, and God bless you. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners and new listeners. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. Thank you all so much. God bless you all. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. If you go to our internet homepage, under the podcast menu item, you can find many popular podcast platforms we are found on. We are located at this internet address unchurched.site123.me. At present, we are located on a growing number of podcast sites. So, you should be able to find us on a platform you like. 
we refresh all our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sundays. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched. Thank you.